morning. It's great uh, to have you join us uh, online and for the, the few that are here um, this morning. We are this morning going to be having a look at uh, a couple of stories from the Gospel of Mark. And the second story we're going to look at is from that video uh, where Jesus eats with sinners. So if you've got your Bibles, um, grab them. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to be looking from verses 1 through to 17. While you're getting there, I'd like you to um, think back to when you were at school. Uh, and, and maybe for those of you who are still at school, you'll be able to just think back to, you know, Friday. Um, when you were at school, did you know who the cool group was? Right? At school, what, which group was the, the cool group? Um, maybe if you're at school, right, you'll, you'll be able to know like that who the cool group is. Maybe, maybe you're in the cool group. Uh, as you can probably imagine, and, and it's not surprising, you know, I was, I was definitely in the cool group at school. Um, I wasn't. I definitely wasn't in the cool group at school. But each school has got that group that is popular, right? Everyone loves them. Uh, people want to be like them. They're the cool group. But let me ask you a question. Do you reckon this guy was in the cool group? You see, I reckon uh, most people think that Jesus was a pretty nice guy, right? People liked him. Uh, he was all about love. He was about peace. He had a really big following. He did some amazing things. I think people generally think really positively when they think about Jesus. But what about this guy? Do you reckon this guy was in the cool group? Was he popular? Was he loved by everyone? Was he an all-round nice guy? Was this guy in the cool crowd? You see, I think people think that Jesus was loved by everyone because often they haven't actually read uh, his story. You see, Jesus wasn't killed because he was the nice guy. Jesus wasn't killed because he was in the cool group or the popular group. He was killed because he was hated by some. He was killed because his words caused conflict. Right? Now, Jesus spoke truth, absolutely, but they were offensive to many. They, they, were, they were hard to hear. And so this morning, as we look uh, at, at Mark chapter 2, we're right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. We're at the beginning of, of Jesus' story. He's just started his public ministry. He's been baptized. He's done some healings. He's exercised some demons. And we've just heard in chapter 1 that he came with a message. And Jesus' message was repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near, right? Jesus is saying, God's king is here. And up until this point, all, all through chapter 1, things have been going great. Everyone loves Jesus, right? There's no issues. He's been doing amazing things, healings and, and exorcisms. But as we come to chapter 2 in this story of Jesus, we see that his words start to offend people. We see some conflict begin as people start to ask the question, who is this man and what is he saying? And so this morning, we're going to have a look at two stories uh, about Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit more of who Jesus is and why he came. And we're going to look at how that affects our lives, why that matters for us. So why don't we pray uh, together as we get into it, and then we'll have a look at uh, our text. 
Father, we thank you so much that uh, we have such incredible technology that even though we can't all be here in the physical, we can still meet uh, online. We can still sing your praises. We can uh, speak to you as your people in prayer, and we can hear from your word. Father, I pray now that as we look at uh, these stories of your son, I pray that we would be encouraged in who Jesus is, that we would be challenged in our own walk with him. We would be challenged in our responding to Jesus. Uh, and I pray that we would not close off our hearts, but that we would be open to hear from you. Father, give me wisdom and clarity and faithfulness as I speak. And uh, I pray that, that everything that is said and that we do here this morning uh, in this service would be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this first story that we're going to have a look at uh, is in verses 1 to 12. And um, uh, what, what happens in the story is that Jesus has left a place called Capernaum. Uh, and he has just gone and healed uh, a, a man with a leprosy. And then a few days later, he comes back into Capernaum. And people in the town, they hear that Jesus is back. And so Jesus is in this house and he's preaching and he's teaching and everyone wants to get to Jesus, right? They want to hear his teaching. They've heard about the healings that have happened. And so they're bringing the sick and the dying to Jesus to be healed. And the house is absolutely packed to the brim. And in fact, it's so full that people are sort of spilling outside and, and gathered around trying to hear Jesus, trying to get to him. It's a crazy scene as Jesus comes back into Capernaum. And then we meet four guys, and they turn up to this house to see Jesus as well. And these four guys are carrying a stretcher, and uh, on the stretcher is one of their friends. And this man on the stretcher is paralyzed, so he can't walk. Uh, and the friends are here to see Jesus, just like everyone else. And they come up to the house and they see the crowd and they see the multitudes of people and they go, uh-oh, right? They see the crowd. They try pushing in to see Jesus like everyone else, but there's just not a chance, right? Any other sane person would go, well, there's no chance today. We'll have to come back tomorrow, but not these friends, you see, these friends know that if we can just get our friend to Jesus, even if our friend could just touch the cloak of Jesus, he would be healed. And so they decide to get creative. So they have a look around and they start putting their heads together. How are we going to get our friend to Jesus? And one of the friends spots and he sees a stairway that goes up onto the roof of the house and he has an idea. He says, guys, follow me. And they, they start to walk up this roof and they're sort of balancing the stretcher so that their friend doesn't fall off and they kind of get up onto the roof. And as they're there, they can hear uh, underneath them in the room, Jesus is preaching. They can hear him. He's right, right there. They put their friend down and they uh, try to figure out, okay, what next? And they sort of look at each other and they look at the roof and they decide to dig a hole into the roof to lower their friend down to see Jesus. So they start digging. 
with their hands. They start ripping a hole in this roof. And roofs back then would have been 10 centimeters thick of wood and clay and branches. And so they start digging. And as they're digging, Jesus and, 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 and this room packed full of people are underneath. And they start to hear a, a bit of a thud uh, on the roof. They ha- start hearing some scraping and then some dust and bits of dirt start to fall on their faces. And they look up and then all of a sudden a little beam, a tiny beam of light comes shooting down into the room. And they see this little hole in the roof and then it sort of starts to get a bit bigger and bigger. And then before they know it, there's a man being lifted down from the roof into this room full of people. And the room is so packed that people have got their hands up and they're, they're kind of balancing this man in this stretcher. And, and as, a, as a crowd, they kind of lay him down in front of Jesus. And as the man uh, gets to the ground, the whole room falls silent. What's Jesus going to say? Is he going to get angry? Is he going to rebuke this man? I mean, where's the owner of this house? Right? Because he's going to be freaking out. There's a massive hole in his roof. Right? He's, he's looking at the weather forecast. Is it going to rain? I don't know. The room goes silent and they wait to hear what Jesus says. And have a look with me in verse 5 in chapter 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's a gasp in the room. What did he just say? The four men on the roof are going, hold on, what? Your sins are forgiven. We just carried this guy all the way up onto the roof. We dug a hole in this roof with our hands. We lowered him down and and you just say your sins are forgiven. Our friends still can't walk. This is what we're here for. What's going on? The crowds start to get noisy. There's confusion uh, in the room. And all the while that this is happening, off to the side of the room, uh, sitting in that room, watching everything that's going on, are some of the teachers of the law. Uh, These guys are called the Pharisees. And they are religious leaders at the time, right? They're the kind of godly group with all all of their rules and their traditions on how to please God. And they've been off to the side and they've seen this man come down. They've heard what Jesus has just said. And let's have a look at what happens next. Uh, Let's kick off from verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, And go home. He got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking, right? The Pharisees are thinking, Man, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. But let's just pause for a second and ask the question, what is the Pharisees' issue at this point? Why are they taking offense? 
And it's because Jesus is saying something that only God can do, right? Only God can forgive sins. But why? Why can only God forgive sins? What's because of this? You can only forgive a wrong if you're the one who has been wronged, right? You can only forgive a wrong if you're the one who has been wronged. I'll give you an example. Let's say um, this afternoon after church, I decide to go and steal Brad's car, right? Now, Brad's car has got Bluetooth connectability to his, to his stereo. My car doesn't. And I really want Bluetooth connectability in my car. So I decide, right, I'm going to go steal Brad's car. Okay? And it goes really well. You know, I, I get his car. And um, let's say tomorrow morning, uh, we're, we're at work together and I'm in the staff room uh, talking to Frank. And Brad comes in and he goes, Oi, Lyndon, you stole my car. And it's a bit awkward because he knows I have and I know I have. Frank has no idea what's going on. But then let's say Frank goes, Oh, hold on, guys. Hold on, guys. Don't worry. Lyndon, I forgive you. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Brad's going, What? <laughs> What are you talking about? You've got your car. This is my car, right? It would be completely odd and, and ridiculous for Frank to step in at that point and go, hey, don't worry about the offense that has happened or the wrong that has been happen that it's happened. Lyndon, I forgive you. I didn't steal Frank's car. I stole Brad's. And it's the same uh, situation with God and sin. You see, the reason why only God can forgive sin is because sin is against God. Sin is rebellion and rejection of God as creator and king. It is an offense to him. Therefore, he is the only one who can forgive sin. And so when Jesus says your sins are forgiven to this man, what he is saying is, I am God. I am God. And that's why people are freaking out. That's why the Pharisees are taking such great offense. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows in the room that people are questioning what he's just said. And so he says to them, let me show you that what I have said is true. That I can say your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus says to them, what's easier to test if I'm telling the truth? Is it easier to test if I say your sins are forgiven or if I say to this man, be healed, stand up and walk? Now, obviously, if Jesus simply says your sins are forgiven, it's hard for uh, the Pharisees and for the people in the room to test if that's true, right? They're just words. They can't know if his sins are forgiven until he dies. But if Jesus says you're healed, stand up and walk, well, we can test that pretty easily because we'll just wait and see what happens. And so Jesus says, to show you that I can forgive sins, I'll do the harder of the two. And so did you notice in verse 10, Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's him, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And so he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of everyone. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. You see, this is by far the biggest statement that Jesus has made so far uh, in his ministry. He claims to be able to forgive sins. He claims to be God. And you have to understand, for a human being to claim to be God, that is punishable by death back then. And so Jesus here is showing that he has authority over sin. 
He saw this paralyzed man, but he didn't just see his physical issue. He saw his deeper, more severe problem. He saw his sin. And so Jesus decided to deal with, initially, the more severe issue. And so while everyone else was looking on the outside, Jesus saw the true problem of this man. He saw the man's greatest need, and that wasn't to walk, but that was to come back into relationship with his heavenly Father and be spared from the wrath of God. That's our first story of Jesus. But let's have a look at a couple of reflections for us. How do we take the story of Jesus and then, uh, and then apply it to us? And I've got three uh, short reflections for us from this story. And the first one focuses on the friends, the four friends. You see, these friends loved their friend so much. They were so committed to their friend that they would do anything that it took to get him to Jesus. They were willing to uh, think outside of the box. They were willing to go further than anyone else to get this man to Jesus. And I think this is an example for us. Do we love our family and our friends enough to talk to them about Jesus? See, I think often we think that we are being an inconvenience or we're being a nuisance uh, to our family, to our friends when we talk to them about Jesus. But we are, if we are truly convinced that just like the paralyzed man, their greatest need their greatest issue in life is their sin, then as someone, as someone said, how much would we have to hate them to not tell them about Jesus? If we love our family and friends enough, will we do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus? That's reflection number one. Reflection number two, Jesus saw the faith of the four friends and he forgave their sins. And I think the link here between faith and forgiveness of sins is really key. And it kind of sets up a theme all the way through the New Testament that we come into salvation. We come into forgiveness uh, and adoption as sons and daughters of God through faith. Right? These four men trusted that Jesus was powerful enough that he could do what they needed him to do. And they got way more than what they expected, right? They got forgiveness of sins. They were not saved for their effort, right? They weren't saved because of all of the work that they went through and getting their friend up onto the roof and kind of digging this hole. They weren't saved because they tried harder than anyone else. Jesus didn't go, well, they've tried so hard, I may as well make their effort worth it and forgive this, person's, uh, this man's sins. No, it was because of their faith that they were saved. And I think this, this is uh, the application for us as well. Forgiveness comes through trusting Jesus, not to those who try the hardest. We can never earn God's love. We can never earn God's forgiveness. It's a free gift through faith. Through faith. The third reflection that we have, I think, for us is that uh, the reminder that Jesus is the only person who has authority over sin. Jesus is the only one who can forgive sin. You'll remember in, in the Old Testament, right, the Jewish sacrificial system. It simply covered over the sin. It never actually dealt with it. And so what we have in the story is a man coming forward and speaking some words from his mouth and he is able to achieve what millions of sacrificed animals could not. 
the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus never wanted his miracles or his popularity to distract from what, was, what he actually came to do. He sees beyond our physical need to our spiritual need. Only Jesus can deal with our sins. And this was offensive to the core of the religious leaders, but it is the, the best news for us. It was the best news for those four friends. And so we don't have to guess or, or cross our fingers uh, wondering if we have been forgiven. Jesus has shown his authority. Jesus shows that he has authority over sin and he ultimately proved that when he rose from the dead. And I think it's important to remember for us, it is just as offensive today as it was back then to say that only Jesus can deal with our sin and bring us to God. We are claiming exclusivity at that point. It is not all roads lead uh, to God, to heaven, but it is only through Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus alone can deal with our sin. So I think this first story, what it shows us is that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And this begins the conflict, and the conflict doesn't stop there, but it continues into the next story. And this next story goes from verse 13 uh, through to 17. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why there's conflict uh, with Jesus and with the Pharisees is because the Pharisees thought that, when the, that, that Jesus would be on their side. You see, the Pharisees thought that when the Messiah came, he would be on their team. He would pat them on the back and say, hey, great job, well done. And I wonder if you can empathize with the Pharisees at this point. Uh, I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone, you think someone is on your side and then you find out that they're not, right? Like maybe uh, when you were younger, you were fighting with your siblings and maybe mum comes in and you're thinking, okay, awesome. She's on my side. She's going to deal out some wrath. This is going to be great. Justice is going to be served. And, and by the end of, of everything that's happened, you're the one who gets punished. And you sort of look back and you go, what went, what went wrong in this situation? I was sure that mum coming in, she was going to be on my side, that she knew my side of the story, and I'm the one getting punished, right? It kind of takes us off guard, and that's, that's sort of what's happening here for the Pharisees as well. You see, what happens next in Mark chapter 2, 13 to 17, Mark tells us that Jesus went out to the Lake of Galilee. And he came across uh, a man, and this man was a tax collector, and his name was Levi, uh, also known as Matthew, as said this morning, Matt. Thanks, Howard. Uh, and Matthew was a tax collector, and Jesus comes up to Levi, and he says, hey, follow me. And the text says that Matt, uh, Levi followed Jesus, right? He left everything there, and he came and followed Jesus. And then Jesus goes back to Levi's house and he has dinner with uh, Levi and with his friends. And who turns up to this dinner but the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And as the Pharisees come in, they look at Jesus and then they look at the people that he is eating with. And they ask this question to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples, his followers at the end of verse 16. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, tax collectors were seen as the scum of the earth back then, right? These were people who were Jews, but had betrayed their own people to collect taxes or payments for the Romans. 
right? So they were seen as uh, betrayers, but it was worse than that because as they would take this money from their own people to give to the Romans, they would also put some aside for themselves. So not only were they betraying their own people, but they were also stealing from their own people. And so Jesus was eating with thieves and betrayers and social outcasts, right? It was it was social suicide to hang out with these people. And so the Pharisees are saying, what are you doing? God's king is supposed to be on our side, right? You're supposed to be eating dinner with us, the religious elite, not these sinners and scum. You're breaking all the rules, Jesus. Whose side are you on? And then Jesus responds in the most amazing way in verse 17. Have a look. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous or, or the good, but to call sinners. What Jesus is saying is here is, where would you expect to find a savior, but with those that he needs to save? You see, Jesus didn't come to be part of the elite religious group. He didn't come for the rules or for the traditions or for those who thought that they were godly and good enough for God. He came for the spiritually sick. He came for sinners. Those who knew their need for Jesus. They knew that they had rejected God, that they needed forgiveness. Jesus didn't come to be part of the cool group. He came to expose the cool group to show them that they were just like the losers that they thought were the scum of the earth, right? The broken, the, the shameful. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to show the Pharisees, you need a doctor just as much as these others. You need a savior as well. And as you can imagine, the Pharisees, well, they don't like this, right? And they begin to hate him. And this is really where the beginning of, uh, of, of the, the road towards the cross began. As the Pharisees began to, to hate Jesus and that grew and grew and grew, it really came together as they orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus as he was murdered and died on that cross. And I think what we see uh, in these, these two stories that we've looked at this morning is really two groups of people. And I think what Mark is wanting to do for us is he's, he's wanting us to respond like one group and he's warning us not to respond like the other. You see, Mark wants us to respond to Jesus like the friends of the paralytic man. He wants us to trust Jesus. He wants us to be like the crowd in the house that were, were amazed at who Jesus was and, and praised him for his uh, greatness. He wants us to be like Levi. Knowing our, our sin and our shame, leaving what we need to and following Jesus. What Mark wants us to do in response to Jesus is he wants us to be humble. To have the humility to see our need for him. Because what he's also doing is warning us how not to respond. He's warning us to not be like the Pharisees. You see, rather than helping the people that they were supposed to get to God, right? They were the religious elite. That was their job, to lead the people, to bring them to God. Rather than doing that, they stood over the people and, uh, and accused them and, and were jealous as Jesus prioritized them, uh, the people, rather than themselves. Rather than humility, there was pride. 
rather than humbly admitting their sin before God, they were judgmental towards others. And so I wonder for you this morning, which group you're in. I wonder if Jesus turned up uh, tonight and said, hey, I want to have dinner with you. Would you kind of go, well, yeah, I kind of would have expected that. Or would your reaction be one of, I'm not worthy. (laughs) They would sort of blow your socks off. Jesus wants to have dinner with me? I mean, do you know me? I wonder which reaction would you have? You see, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been trying to to follow him, we should always have a sense of unworthiness. Because the worthiness that we have, the ability to be able to come before God confidently has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus, right? Without him, we have no chance. Without him, we are always, always unworthy. And so what's amazing about this second story in the Gospel of Mark that we've looked at is that Jesus tells us his purpose for coming to earth. He tells us why God came down, humbled himself to become a man, one of his creation, why he came. He came for sinners. He came for those who realized their need for him, the sick need a doctor, and sinners need a saviour. And what Romans 3 tells us, as Paul wrote that letter to the church in Rome, he tells us that everyone is a sinner. Everyone who is born as a human being under the line of Adam and Eve have a sinful nature with inside of them. That is, as they took their very first breath, they were in rebellion towards God, wanting to be their own God, their own king, deciding uh, things for themselves, being autonomous. Everyone needs a saviour because everyone is a sinner. But let me ask you this morning, do you know it? Do you know it? Two quick reflections for us from the second story before we finish. The first reflection, Jesus ate with sinners without compromising his view of sin. I'll say that again. Jesus ate with sinners without compromising his view of sin. You see, the Pharisees lived their life separated from sinners, right? Because they thought that they were above them. But I think one of the, uh, one of the, the lessons or examples for us in this passage is that we should eat with sinners because we are sinners also. The only difference is, is that we have been forgiven, right? If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus you still have a sinful nature, The only difference is is that you have been declared not guilty, like in a court sense, right? Even though you really are guilty and you deserve punishment, you have been declared not guilty because someone has taken the punishment in your place. Nothing has changed in your nature yet. We wait for that as we get to heaven. What's really important to remember is that Jesus was more ruthless about sin than anyone, right? Jesus talks more about hell than anyone else in the entire Bible. He had very strong views on sin, and yet he didn't seclude himself from the world. He lived his life with those who needed saving without compromising his fierce view on sin. And so I think that's a huge challenge for us this morning. And it's a tricky one too, right? We've got to try and work out that balance. It's not super straightforward, but I think the challenge is there. 
Jesus ate with sinners without compromising his view of sin. Secondly, if we are sinners, if we are the sick in need of a doctor, then I think it's important that we don't pretend that we're well. You see, I think often as followers of Jesus, we can put on this mask pretending that life is, is going great and we've got everything together because that's kind of what a Christian life should look like, right? When the reality is that on the inside, man, everything's falling apart. We are struggling day by day, right? It's just difficult sometimes. But sometimes we put this mask on. It's important to remember that no one needed less saving than me. No one needed less saving than you, right? The Christian life doesn't promise ease and, and the removal of sin and temptation from our lives. It doesn't promise us health or wealth. Life will still suck at times. And we need one another to remind us of this. That we are like Levi and his friends the sick in need of a savior. We need Jesus every single day. Every single day. And I think as we, as we look at these stories in the Gospels, uh, particularly if we've been a Christian for a while, we can sort of feel a little bit mundane towards them, right? We can often think, well, I sort of know this story, right? I, I, know, I know the gospel in a crux, that Jesus died for my sins, that he rose three days later, that, my, that I will be uh, forgiven for my sins if I have faith in Jesus. We sort of know these stories, but I think it's important to continue to come back to them because the Christian life isn't uh, the gospel and saved by faith and then something else, but it is a, a daily trusting of Jesus, trusting of the gospel that Jesus is the one who saves because every single morning I wake up needing his forgiveness. We need Jesus every single day. He has authority over sin. He is the one who can remove guilt, who can remove uh, shame. He is the one who knows our greatest need. He came to save sinners, just like you and, so, and, uh, and me. And so this morning, the challenge is to humble ourselves every single day, to trust him and to live lives of thankfulness. Why don't we pray, uh, thanking God for who he is and asking that he would continue to keep our eyes fixed on his son, hey? Let's pray. Father, you are our almighty God. You are so holy and uh, and beyond us, so, so perfect and pure, there is no evil in you, there is no sin in you or bad in you. And so, Father, it is just, it's just incredible to think that you could look at us, messy, sinful, shameful people who wanted to have nothing to do with you and you would have mercy on us, that you would love us enough to send your son to die for us. And so, Father, this morning we confess and we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we uh, have rebelled against you and we need your forgiveness and your love every single day. Father, would you never let this become stale in our lives? But would you help it to be like a fresh splash of water every morning? as we spend time in your word, as we spend time with your people, as we speak to you, as we sing your praise, as we would be reminded our great and deep need for you 
and for your son. And Father, I pray that we would respond in thankfulness, that our lives would be uh, characterized by um, thankfulness for who you are and for what you've done, that we would never let uh, pride uh, take over, but that we would continue to just thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.